You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word and notice the very first words of our text. It says it all, yes, and I will rejoice. Notice Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's the verse that so many of us know well, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is faced with trials, but he believes that God is going to continue to work through him no matter what. And I believe that's true for us, Ridgecrest, that God has a great plan for us. And so we need to rejoice in that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its timely manner. Thank you, Lord, for the subject matter that hits us right in the heart where we need to be hit. And I pray today, God, that is the reality that all of us walk away from here just a little more certain and a little more sure that you are on your throne and sovereign and you have a great plan for us, your people. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, Paul loved Jesus. It's so evident. We've been talking about how the name of Jesus just keeps coming at us in this book. Uh, He is thinking about Jesus. He loves the gospel. He wants to tell the world not just about Jesus who came, but he wants to share with the world why Jesus came. That's the good news, that Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave to give us the hope of resurrection life. That cross-centeredness, that resurrection theology. Though the cross nor the resurrection is mentioned directly, a man being able to say that living or dying, he's with Jesus, that's a person who believes in the cross and the resurrection. That's the centerpiece of the Christian faith, and that's the heart of the gospel, and that's what we're talking about here today. I believe that as long as in every way Christ is proclaimed, if you look at verse 18, um, that would make Paul happy. And that ought to make us happy too, that whatever we're doing, we are proclaiming Jesus. I think Paul would say to us, I am happy, yes indeed, and I will never stop being happy in Christ. So I want to encourage you today as we launch into this time together that one of the things that's important for us is that especially in tumultuous times, in troubling times, it is important for those in Christ to be optimistic hopeful, and smiling. The world has enough dreariness today. Don't add to it. 
We need to be a light of hope shining amongst the nations. That's important. We cannot allow gloom to get us down. The church is not supposed to ignore sadness, but likewise, she must not succumb to it. We are here today and we're praying because we know there are events happening in the world that are serious and somber, but we don't have to get all serious and somber. We do not have to succumb to the darkness because we believe in the light and we are children of the light. The only way that we can do this is to be truly Christ-centered. As William Tyndale put it many, many years ago, one of the lights, early lights of the Reformation, he said that Christ is the origin of our life. And a later scholar, as he was thinking through what Paul is saying here, F.B. Meyer, notice what he says. He asks us, is Christ the essence of our lives, the model of our life, the aim of our life, the solace of our life, and the reward of our life? I don't know what you think about that sentence, but basically it just says Christ had better be all. Christ is all. He needs to be the essence. He needs to be the model. In other words, when we ask how should we live in the world today, we look into Jesus and we see the way. He was aimed at the cross the whole time and yet he brought joy to the world. His aim was the cross so that you could be saved. We know that it is appointed and the man wants to die and then comes the judgment. We know that one day we're going to walk out of this world and into eternity. But we know that our aim when it is Jesus, our destiny and our destination will be heaven. The solace of our life. In other words, peace. Do you have the peace of Jesus? And ultimately, we're praying that you do know Jesus, that you may have his reward. You know, I know we're not quite there yet because on this side of heaven, it's hard to be uh, positive and uh, and a person filled with joy all the time. It's definitely difficult. But Paul is helping us. He is showing us the way. Now, if you think that being a happy person during a time of war like this is hard, let me just have you think through with me what Paul was facing. You know, Paul, when he was in prison, he had people who would come to see him. And I would just imagine that someone came up to Paul and said, You know, Paul, you being in this Roman prison, you can't even go on mission trips. You know what Paul probably said? He said, and yes, but I will rejoice. Others could have said to Paul, Paul, you know, a lot of these folks here in the church of Rome, and even some in Philippi, really don't like you very much. They say you look funny and sound funny, and they don't like you. And I think Paul would have looked at them and said, and yes, I will rejoice. Still others could have said to Paul, well, Paul, you're getting old. And one of these days, you're going to preach in the wrong place, and the Romans are going to come and martyr you. And I think Paul would have said to those brothers, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul saw opportunities to grow no matter what was going on. And I'm challenging you, church, to think of the same thing. F.F. F. Bruce, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, wrote a book about Paul, a biography of Paul, and entitled it, Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. I read that book when I was a very young man, probably in my early 20s, and I, I just remember thinking about that, how profound that is, that Paul was a man who at one point in his life was chained down by religion of all things. He was chained down by the request and the obligations of the law, but when Jesus came into his heart, he was set free. And when your heart is set free from Satan, from hell, from the grave, then you are able to rejoice as Paul rejoiced, 
And so this morning, what I want to do is just lay out a simple path, if you will, for us to think about what God has promised his people and why it is we can rejoice, what it is that can build in our hearts a certitude and we can overcome all of our challenges, even our sin and shame. Let's start there. And I want you to see that Paul says, I will rejoice in the help I have in the Holy Spirit and not be ashamed. Let's look at that in verses 19 and 20. Now, for just a moment, I want to say this to you. You are far more powerful than you know, okay? Now, I'm not talking about like Spider-Man, Superman kind of superpowers. Uh, In fact, let me just say this. When it comes to physical strength and mental acuity, as we get older, we learn more and more about those limits, I mean, what used to to happen in a day, you didn't feel it one bit. Now you feel it at night. Um, You know, we moved some furniture around yesterday, and some of my brothers and sisters helped me. I felt it all night long. Uh, When I was some of your ages, I could do that and go to sleep at night and not think twice about it. You know, um, I used to be able to have a mind that was uh, pretty, pretty quick on the recall. And now, you know how your, your phone or your computer has the wheel, the pinwheel of death? That's what's happening a lot of times when I'm trying to remember what I'm supposed to remember. I'm starting to feel the edges, the limits of my physical and mental strength. But here's the deal. One of the things that I've learned in my own heart is that when it comes to spiritual strength, being filled with the Holy Spirit, very few of us ever feel the outer limits of what God could be doing in our lives. I want to challenge you and I want you to realize that God is not done with you and he has some great work in store for you and you need to quit making excuses for not being used of God. And we're going to talk about one of the reasons why we sometimes are not able to get to that place where the Spirit is at work in us. Now what does Paul know? Look at verse 19. He knows that he is empowered by the prayers of God's people. So notice the preposition, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knows that those two things will help lead him to what he calls deliverance. Now, I want you to realize this is important. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul believes that because of the empowering presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the presence of God's people, he will be able to do work and not be ashamed. Did you see that? He says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, will be honored in my body. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, here's the deal. That word shame or ashamed is, this isn't the only time Paul uses it. He uses it in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In 1 John 2.28, we also see this, this um, discussion about shame. Now, let me say this. From those three verses, I'm gathering that one of the reasons why so many of us are not filled with the Spirit is because we're allowing the devil to keep us wallowing in the shame of our past and we're therefore not able to live in the fullness of God's power in the present. In other words, when Paul's talking about not being ashamed, I feel like he's retrospective. He's looking back and he's saying he knows that for a long time he was not just 
um, uh, indifferent to the church. He was antagonistic against the church. If anybody would have allowed the devil to run amok in his mind, Paul could have been absolutely useless because he had done shameful things. And let me say to you here today, the sins of your past, the hurt that it's done to you, and the hurt that it did to others is real. But I want to tell you, if you are here today and you believe that Jesus saved you and you're going to be in heaven with Jesus forever, don't let the devil to continue to beat you down with shame from the past when he has something powerful for you in the present. He has something powerful for you in the present. And it is shame that will keep us from experiencing that today and in the days to come. One of the reasons we don't rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit is because we allow our past failures to hold us down. And I want to say to you, if you've been forgiven for, the, for your sins, I want you to know that in the moment you were forgiven, you were empowered. And we must commit to a life of joy in Jesus. And we cannot do this while wallowing in past sins. The Spirit of God gives you the ability to do great work, but you have to get past your past. You have to stop listening to the enemy, whispering in your ear. Because listen, I was talking earlier about how bad my memory is, but the devil won't let me forget the bad things I've done. My memory is almost perfect recall when it comes to my faults and failures and mistakes when I've spoken in a way that was rash or I've hurt someone or I've not been uh, considerate of their feelings. Every single one of those instances, that's what I'm thinking about at two or three in the morning. The devil loves to remind me of that. I have perfect recall for my sins. That's in the flesh. But it's in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit of Jesus, that I am reminded that those sins, if I have truly nailed them to the cross, I bear them no more. And I want you to know that that is true for all who are in Christ. Many of us think we have a lesser witness because of our past, but Paul is encouraging us to look for something better in our future. I want you to look in verse 20. Do you see that phrase, eager expectation and hope? It is so funny that this word pops up at this point. Remember, I was talking to you maybe last week. Some of you heard me talking about me stepping up on my, on my toes. Literally, this word is the picture of someone standing on their toes and straining their neck, looking out to see what's coming. They're expecting something good. Like if you've ever been at a parade or something, and you're behind some tall person, and you're, and you're kind of going like this, and you're trying to, trying to see, that's the language here in the Greek, that we have this eager expectation of hope. We need to be on our toes expecting to see Jesus at work all around us. Church, listen to me. We need to be positive even during this difficult time. We need to be on our tiptoes expecting that God is going to show up in a big way. Amen? I'm telling you, he already has. I've heard reports this morning about the generosity of God's people. God is on the move. He is at work. And here we see Paul, one of Christianity's greatest heroes, uh, stressing his dependence on prayer, stressing his dependence on the Holy Spirit. You want to be strong in your Christian faith? Then pray and pray with people, but then also ask the Spirit of Jesus to fill you, that the Holy Spirit can be with you, and that Christ might be honored by life or by death. That's what Paul would tell us here in verse 19 and 20, that Christ be honored in all that we do. Maybe you've hit a rough patch in your walk lately. Don't give up. 
just get going. The worst thing you can do is to allow the enemy to keep you off the playing field. You know, Jesus will say to you, listen, I believe this. Jesus will say to you one day, brother, sister, this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many. Listen, you may have made some mistakes, but if you will just be faithful in the few things that God has given you to do, you will be filled with the Spirit and you will not be ashamed. Don't listen to the devil. He wants to hurt you. He wants to take away the presence of the Holy Spirit. I got to thinking about it, and we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes as Christians as though we only get to see it once a year or every once in a while. It's kind of like a birthday present. You only expect those one day a year, although some of the people in my house think that they have birthday months, but that's another sermon for another day. Anyway, but once a year, I mean, you know, you get one day a year. That's it. That's all you get for your birthday. Sorry, that's it. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, His presence should be in your life every day. And I think we sometimes act like, well, you know, every once in a while, maybe I'll get, you know, it'll be my birthday. It'll be my my spiritual birthday. And I'll get to really feel the power of Jesus. Let me say this. I believe that Jesus wants you to feel the power and glory of, of His presence every single day. And there's nothing wrong with you seeking that every day. In fact, let's get a little selfish in that regard, okay? People today, most times, selfishness is not a good thing. But when it comes to craving the Holy Spirit and wanting to be empowered by His presence, there is nothing wrong with that. There is no law against such things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray you will commit to rejoice in the Spirit's work in your life and that you will not let the devil continue to have you live in shame. Secondly, Paul says, I will rejoice knowing that heaven is my home. I'm convinced that we don't talk about heaven as much as we should. I think in preaching, we don't do a good enough job of talking about heaven. I, about a year ago, I was at a funeral here and, and Pastor Hosey was preaching it. And as only good preachers can do, uh, as he began to talk about heaven just for a minute, I thought I was there. He described it in such a way. And I, re- I realized as I was listening to him that, that in my own preaching, I need to be doing the same thing, painting the picture of heaven. But it re- occurred to me that a lot of preaching today, even funeral preaching, doesn't say a lot about heaven. Why? Uh, if, you were, if you're a, a guy like me and studies preaching, you don't have to go back very far, really just maybe a hundred years. And you'll notice that much of the preaching in Baptist churches and evangelical churches, much of the preaching dealt with heaven and hell, uh, dealt with what happens when you die. Now, I, I don't know, I haven't done any research to look at the, the sermons today. I'm sure somebody could do a statistical analysis and really fill in the gaps for me here. But my guess is, is that if you took all the sermons being preached today, a very small percentage, maybe single digits, uh, uh, the sermons would be focused on heaven. Almost all of the sermons would be focused more on life and feeling better about life and feeling better about yourself. And I've, some of the things I've said today even aim in that direction of helping you get past some of your spiritual uh, darkness. So there's nothing wrong with that. But friends, whether it's 100 years ago today, guess what? The mortality rate is still one for one right? We, we may live longer today, and I think that's why, because people don't die, quote-unquote, young. Uh, very often, that's kind of the exception instead of the rule. So most of us just live our lives as though we're never going to die. Well, listen, it is appointed unto man wants to die, and then comes the judgment. But listen, if you have Jesus in your heart, when judgment comes, the blood covers you. I believe in a place called heaven. 
I believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe that there is a river flowing from the throne of God that brings healing. I believe that there are trees, the trees whose leaves bring healing to the nations. I believe in streets of gold and gates of pearl. And I believe that those who have trusted in Jesus and believe that their sins are nailed to his cross will be in heaven with Jesus forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you look at what Paul says here, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I've got it uh, good both ways. If I stay here, I'm going to live for Jesus. If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Either way, guess what? It's Jesus. Church, that's what we have. And we hear Paul say in verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Some have read that to say that Paul, because he's in prison, is a little depressed and despondent. Not at all. If you look at the context, he's just being a realist. He knows that when you're in a Roman prison, sometimes that doesn't end well. He's not being fatalistic. He's just not worried about um, the fatal implications of being in a Roman prison. He believes that to be with Christ is the greatest thing of all. And if you notice what he says in the rest of the text, in verses like 23 and following, he's, he's hard-pressed, but he believes that God is going to deliver him, and he believes that God still has work for him to do. Paul loved his life and loved the ministry and wanted to pour into people, but Paul also knew that he had Jesus, and therefore he had heaven. Let me ask you this. Do you have heaven? Do you believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has taken your sins away and that when you die and leave this earth, you will be with Jesus? If you don't know how to answer that, if you are afraid in any way about where you will spend eternity, friends, then we are here to tell you that Jesus is the answer. That your sins have been paid for on the cross and that our hope is resurrection life in the name of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the grave, he unleashed a power so great that anyone who believes in his name will be saved. And heaven will be your home. So what is it that you are seeking above all else? Again, F.B. Meyer, so insightful. He forces us to think about what it is we're really seeking. What is the Lord of our life? He says, you know, uh, if you're seeking money above all else, to live is more wealth. If you are seeking to be an athlete, to live is one more victory or another trophy in the case. If you are a scholar, to live is perhaps to have more knowledge. If you are a politician, to live is to have more power. But the Christian, he or she knows that no matter what goes on in life, to live is Christ. And I want to ask you, is that true for you? Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Do you believe you're going to heaven? Great. But we also need to make sure that Christ is first, last, midst, all in all, and that perpetually we are in Christ. F.B. Meyer says, I love that. We need to make sure that Jesus permeates everything about us. Death is an enemy in this world and not a friend. But the Christian doesn't have to be afraid of death because we have hope in Jesus. Listen to Paul. This is not mere bravado. This is faith. He says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A focus on heaven takes away the sting of a sinful world. And maybe lately you've been feeling the sting of this world. Its poison is in your skin. 
underneath your skin. But just know this. If you are in Christ, look unto Christ and look into heaven and you will be able to rejoice. And finally, we land back down here on earth. And Paul says, I will rejoice and build up the church and glorify Christ. We see this in verses 21 and 26. Brothers and sisters, I look forward to spending eternity with you in heaven. But until that day, I look forward to working with you for the kingdom of God on earth. Isn't that what we're called to do, church? We are called to build up the church and glorify Christ. There's discipleship in that and there's worship. It is so simple what God has called us to do. It is so simple for us to find purpose and meaning in life. And many people in the world, they do not have meaning and significance. But I'm here to tell you, our meaning and significance is all wrapped up in Christ. We worship him and serve him. And that's as easy as it gets, as simple as it gets. I pray that you're able to rejoice because your life is lived that way. Look at verse 22. Paul says, if I stay around with you folks, there's going to be some fruitful labor. He wants to see Christians mature. Paul loved making disciples. That's what church growth is all about. Anything less than true church growth, true discipleship is, is not worthy of our time. We want to see fruitful labor and we need to make disciples. Look there, he says, that he knows that there is a necessity for him to remain in the world a bit longer. Verse 24, so that there can be progress and joy in the faith. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow not only in our, our abilities, our, our spiritual gifts, I would say progress there, but also in joy. He wants us, Paul does, all Christians to have joy. God wants to have you at work for him, but also feeling the joy of the Lord. Friends, we have to do this together. We need to realize that the, the fruitful work of the church is not about individuals doing their own thing. It's about us working together. Paul, and remember what I said about the first two verses? Paul is talking about he has a companion with him. He has elders and deacons. Um, he's always talking in the plural when he talks about leadership. It takes many of us working together to be successful for the kingdom. That's no different here. In soccer, that was the sport I used to love to play before my knees disagreed that I needed to play soccer anymore. Um, about 10 years ago, I was playing soccer on a, on a mission trip in Mexico, and my knee kind of went two different ways, and you know, that's the end of my soccer career. But in soccer, there's this great uh, analogy that, you know, you think about the positions on the field. Every sport, you know, they have positions. But the, the saying in soccer is, is that when we have the ball, everybody's on offense. And when the other team has the ball, everybody's on defense. You see, it's not about, we can't always control where the ball is or who controls the ball, but we need to realize that we're all together and some days when the Lord is working and, and things are going well, we're on offense and we're able to go. There are other days when, when maybe Satan is, is pushing on us a little bit and we all have to go on defense together. Whatever it is, offense or defense, we just have to make sure that we're doing it together. And if we do things together, we will be fruitful and we will see God move. We are all servants of Jesus Christ, as we were reminded, slaves, servants of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 1. And therefore, if we will do that, we can be used by Jesus for the cause of the gospel. One of my favorite theologians, D.A. Carson, says that this passage really helps us understand the priorities of the gospel 
So let me show you what those are real quick as we finish. And, and let me ask you to consider whether these things are true in your life. Carson says that we need to put the fellowship of the gospel at the center of our relationships with believers. In other words, what connects us, okay, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the message that he died for our sins, that he rose again, and we all share in that faith. Secondly, put the priorities of the gospel at the center of our prayer life. We need to make sure that we are praying the gospel, that the gospel guides our praying. Thirdly, we see that we need to put the advance of the gospel at the center of our aspirations. Now, what that means is, above all else, what do you want in life? Do you want the, the money, the car, the, the, the prestige, the reputation, or do you want Jesus? Paul says there's really only one choice. It has to be Jesus. And finally, we need to put the winning of souls at the center of our principled self-denial. Paul is very clearly willing here to die to self in order to see the kingdom grow. He was radical about Christians giving all for the sake of the kingdom. True joy can only happen in our lives, brothers and sisters, when we say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want to ask you right now where you stand in the scope of the kingdom. Where do you stand? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Some of you do know him, but you are living in the shame of the past. And I believe the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning saying, that it's time to be free, that the devil doesn't need to beat you up about that anymore, that you need to stand firm in the power of Christ, that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to wipe away even your sins. Christian, I want to say to you this, you need to live as though heaven is your eternal home. And what that will do, it won't make you live a reckless life, but it will cause you to live a different life, a life of purpose. We are not put on this planet just to play it safe. We are here to go to hard places, amen? We are here to go where God is at work. We are here to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. We are here so that God can be glorified through every bit of our lives and even our deaths. And then I think about what it means to be fruitful. How are you contributing to Ridgecrest being a stronger disciple-making church? Are you all in in making disciples? Well, all this is powerful and good, but ultimately you need Jesus. And we're inviting you now to come and receive him into your heart. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.